nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. And uh, Dr. Mackis, uh, welcome back as well. We're thrilled. It's been some months since you've been here. Really happy to see you again. Uh, unfortunately, I, I hate what we're going to be talking about, but uh, but thrilled that you're here. I gave you an improper uh, introduction or inadequate, I should say. Um, you are a, a physician based in, in Canada. You're an expert in radiology, oncology, and immunology. Uh, and you've been someone who I've relied upon along with, with others with regard to evaluation uh, specifically of the cancer rates and cancers that we're seeing on the heels of these um, mRNA vaccines. Um, oh, and I didn't mention, by the way, you just joined the uh, wellness company. So congrats on, on that. Um, many of our good friends of the Good friends of the show are, are associated with the wellness company, so happy about that. But uh, let's start with, I had predicted, um, unfortunately, and I hate that I am right, I'd predicted at, before the vaccines were ever launched to the public that they would have a profound impact on the immune system. And as a result of that alone, um, would likely in, cause increased cancer rates. Um, just because of their immunological impact. So let's start, if you would, just by talking a little bit about what you are seeing in the data, in the numbers um, with regard to cancers, what kinds of cancers, those sorts of things. And then maybe we'll get into the weeds, you and I, about the um, perhaps some of the, the uh, pathology of that, why that might be, some theories for why we're seeing these, uh, these numbers. You know, Dr. Kelly, uh, I've been tracking um, these turbo cancers, as they're being called, these very aggressive cancers that are showing up in young COVID vaccinated people. Uh, the youngest case I've reported is a 12 year old boy who had a Moderna vaccine and came down with uh, end stage brain cancer that killed him in less than a year. I'm seeing it in teenagers, in university and college students who are mandated to take COVID vaccines. People in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s are coming down with stage four cancers. Uh, these cancers are presenting at a late stage, stage three, but usually stage four. Uh, these are lymphomas, leukemias. These are breast cancers, colon cancers, lung cancers, hepatobiliary cancers, testicular cancers in young men, ovarian cancers in women, uh, kidney cancers, renal cell cancers, melanomas, skin cancers. Uh, and sarcomas as well. So these are the types of cancers that are showing up in a younger cohort than oncologists expect. They're showing up at a late stage. Uh, the tumors can grow very large. Uh, so some of these tumors are described as football-sized, uh, even watermelon-sized. You know, these are 10, 15-centimeter tumors, and they're very aggressive, and, and they really they spread very rapidly. So even when the surgeons are trying to get at them, trying to surgically excise them so that they could control the tumor, what they usually find after surgery is that the tumor has already spread. It's already spread to the lymph nodes. It's already spread to the lungs or the bones. Very aggressive cancers uh, and really uh, related to the COVID-19 vaccine specifically and, and mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. 
One of the things, let me just step back for a second, because one of the things that might not be um, known to our audience uh, is that all cancers are not created equal with regard to the, the population that they hit. Uh, you know, for example, we we not uncommonly and tragically see certain blood cancers in children, leukemias, for example. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon uh, to, to see a brain tumor, brain cancers sometimes in young children. It would be extraordinary uncommon to see a colon cancer in somebody uh, before the fourth or fifth decade. Very uncommon to see a lung cancer before the fourth or fifth decade. Um, those sorts of things. Extremely uncommon to see. So some of these cancers that we are seeing, and I think you're getting at that, things like these colon cancers, we are now seeing colon cancers in people in their late teens, 20s, and 30s. And again, as you said, very aggressive colon cancers. So it's not just that cancers per se, but it's seeing cancers in, in groups of people in whom they've ne I'd never seen a colon cancer in somebody under the age of 45 in my life until these COVID vaccines. Um, so let's, in terms of just to put some uh, magnitude on it, in terms of give us some sense of the magnitude versus what we would have considered to be the baseline numbers for cancer rates. You know, it's very hard to get a sense of this because uh, it's almost impossible to get good cancer data from from the governments. Uh, you know, uh, Ed Dowd has talked about this, um, the difficulty of getting good data. You know, I've tried to get cancer data here in Canada from Statistics Canada, from the Canadian Cancer Society, and they are not reporting any data from 2021 or 2022, it seems they're holding this data back. And so I'm left with anecdotal evidence. And when Ed Dowd, you know, he'll report from U.S. insurance data that disability rates um, in the working population, let's say ages 18 to 64, uh, who abided by the COVID vaccine mandates, disability rates are 500% higher mm -hmm compared to the working population who dropped out of the workforce and didn't want to get the vaccines. Well, a big portion of those disabilities are these cancers, are these cancer diagnoses. Uh, and so, you know, I'm seeing an explosion of these cancers. I'm seeing it in doctors. I'm seeing it in nurses. I'm seeing it in other vaccine-mandated professions. So all types of healthcare workers. I'm seeing it in teachers. I'm seeing it in police officers, firefighters, the military, um, you know, you see it in flight attendants, for example, you know, you had, uh, uh these airlines that wanted to have hundred percent vaccinated workforce. Uh, so really anywhere where there were very strict COVID vaccine mandates, that's where I'm seeing these explosions of these very aggressive cancers. And I can tell you this year, 2023, uh, seems to be much worse. There's many more cases of these turbo cancers than in 2022 or 2021. The trend is upwards. The numbers are on the rise. You can see this uh, on websites like GoFundMe. If you go on GoFundMe and you put stage four cancer, and you can pick whatever cancer you want. You could put you know, breast cancer, you could put lung cancer, colon cancer. Not only are you seeing the shocking ages, young ages of these individuals who are reporting their cancers and their fundraising because you know they lose their jobs when they're undergoing chemotherapy, for example, but you see just how many people are suffering, are coming down from these cancers, uh, especially in 2023. Uh, it's just uh, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a tsunami of, of cancer diagnoses.
Before we get into the pathophysiology or some theories about why this is happening, can you classify what are, if I said to you, what are the top three types of cancers that you're seeing? What, 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 what would you say? What are the top types of cancers? The top three I can tell you that seem to come up over and over are lymphoma, brain mm-hmm. cancer, and really the most aggressive ones, the glioblastomas, and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. These seem to be the top if you want to round out, you know, the top five, top six, you got to put in colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to put in lung cancer, testicular cancer, and the leukemias uh, are extremely aggressive. These leukemias, when they're being diagnosed, um, they are killing uh, the individual in a matter of weeks, days, or even hours wow. after diagnosis. They are that aggressive. Yeah. And speaking of aggressiveness, you know, not only the, what the data would show that I've seen is that it's not only new cancers, but the other thing is people who had cancers that had been deemed to be in remission many times for over a decade, people who'd had breast cancer in, were considered a cure or they'd had resected colon cancers years ago. And all of a sudden, not only is the cancer back, but it is back, as you said, with an aggressiveness that we have never seen. In other words, you know, they're, they're not only growing quickly, but resistant to, uh, to traditional therapies, chemotherapies, whatever. They, they just aren't responding in the way that we've seen before. So do you agree that we're seeing uh, resurgence of previously uh, cancers that have been previously in remission? Absolutely. Um, and again, when the medical authorities try to explain this away, by saying, well, you know, we missed a whole bunch of screenings and, you know, uh, people had their, you know, their cancer appointments canceled uh, for several months. And that's why we're seeing this surge of cancers. It does not explain the behavior of these cancers. And and that is really the key is that these cancers are behaving completely differently. You have recurrences of of people who were in remission and these recurrences are extremely aggressive. Uh, you have the presentation at stage four in a very young groups, which is highly unusual. They grow very, very rapidly. They spread rapidly. And the, they're also resistant to conventional treatments. So these turbo cancers seem to be highly resistant to conventional chemotherapy regimens and conventional radiation therapy regimens or even immunotherapy regimens. You will see this uh, in testimonials of people on their GoFundMe pages. They will say, I found out my chemo didn't work. I found out, you know, the radiation therapy right. didn't work and the cancer just kept growing throughout treatment. Um, so this this is not explained by missed screenings or missed appointments. We are dealing with a, with a new phenomenon and a phenomenon where these cancers are behaving completely differently, unlike anything we've seen, unlike anything I've seen in my career. Uh, and I've diagnosed tens of thousands of cancer patients in my career and I have simply not seen this kind of behavior before. Uh, so this is not something we can just explain away uh, by some missed screenings and missed appointments. I, uh, it, first of all, I 100% agree with you. This is a re- direct result of the vaccines. I find it ironic, however, that the authorities are saying, no, it's not because of the vaccines. It's because of the one of the other things we did to screw people up, the lockdown. Okay, okay. You know, in other words, they're, they're willing to say, no, it's not the vaccines. It's because everybody missed their screening appointments because of the other really stupid thing we did called a lockdown uh, and, and causing people to not get their routine screenings for breast cancer and 
colon cancer and skin cancer. Uh, it's just ironic that they don't see, any way you cut it, it's the responsibility of this grossly failed pandemic response. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, I have three kind of buckets that I would put, say that here are the three things that I think could be or likely are contributing to the cancer thing. For me, it's number one, the impact on the immune system overall. And we could talk about the specifics of that, just the suppression of the immune system, which is critical to fighting cancer. Secondly, the toxicity of perhaps the spike proteins themselves. And thirdly would be the, the more the wild card, the issue of the lipid nanoparticles, the, them being carcinogenic or teratogenic by themselves. So. Let's talk about each of those, and you start whichever one of those three: the immune you know, system overall, uh, lipid nanoparticles, and spike proteins. And what component do you think uh, might, you know, really be causing this? I would actually sneak in a fourth category, and this fourth category would be DNA contamination of the Pfizer and Moderna okay, vials. Good, good, yes, yes, because that's actually not supposed to be a component of the vaccine. This is a contaminant leftover from the manufacturing process. So I would put that as, a, as, a, as another category, uh, potentially uh, contributing to this surge of turbo cancers. But we can start with, uh, with the damage to the immune system. You know, I've, I've seen this damage to the immune system back in 2021, uh, when we had the first publications on negative vaccine efficacy, and you started seeing the double vaccinated after a number of months, let's say six months, uh, they were getting infected with COVID-19 at, at higher rates, sometimes double, sometimes triple the rate of an unvaccinated person. And they started filling the hospitals and they started uh, filling the intensive care units and dying. And you could tell that from the data, from the government data, that there was severe immune system damage being inflicted on the double vaccinated. And then the triple vaccinated took over and they started filling up the hospitals. And then in Australia, the quadruple vaccinated we're filling up the hospitals and we're dying at record rates. And the Canadian and Australian governments responded by deleting all vaccine status data of people in the hospitals. So we didn't know uh, at some point who was dying, but it was it was the vaccinated who were making up 90% of the hospitalizations and deaths. So we already had evidence that the immune systems were being damaged in thousands of vaccinated people. And from the Cleveland Kleenex study, we know that the more vaccine doses you take, the more damage your immune system takes on. Right. And so the more likely you are to get infected. But the problem with having a damaged immune system, and you know, we can get into the sort of the complicated details of that, but uh, when, when you have a damaged immune system, you have damaged cancer surveillance. That's sort of the bottom line, is, is yes. that you know, your, your T cells and your immune cells are constantly surveying your body for cancer cells and mutated cells and destroying them, getting rid of them. If you have severe immune system damage that these mRNA vaccines seem to be causing, you lose that protection, you lose your immune system surveillance. And in some people, this seems to really be a very severe problem and it makes them uh, predisposed to getting these very aggressive cancers. One of the things that I thought was very compelling was some studies that showed that there was a shift, a specific shift in the vaccinated to one of the immunoglobulins, IgG4. And IgG4 is supposed to be uh, represented in relatively small amounts. It's the immunoglobulin that in layman's terms tells you to ignore 
something that is foreign. You know, it's not in our best interest to constantly react to every foreign thing we come in contact with, because otherwise we'd be sneezing, sniffling, you know, uh, weepy messes every time we came across pollen or dust or whatever it is. So IgG4's job is to say, just ignore that. It's it's not self, it's a, it's a foreign uh, entity, but ignore it because it's not important. If you have a huge uptick, which is what we seem to be seeing in IgG4 levels in the multiply vaccinated individuals, what they're telling their immune, the immune system selling the body, ignore something that you shouldn't ignore, like an abnormal colon cell or an abnormal skin cell or, you know, a cancerous cell. So I fear that they are getting the, the message to ignore things that are actually very dangerous. Uh, and I think that that, in addition to all the T cells, as you said, we, we know that people who've gotten gobs of these vaccines are at much higher risk for COVID, but it appears that they are much higher risk for other things that their immune system should be fighting off like cancers. Um, so I, I think I, I think that the IG shift, if you will, may be a contributor to that, to that as well. Um, so we, we keep going from there. Yeah, we actually published on this, uh, this IgG4 shift is, is what it's called. And it's what's fascinating about this is this was discovered uh, a few months ago. So it's, it's been less than a year that this was discovered. And what's interesting is you start to see the body producing this IgG4 antibody after you've had two shots. And it's specific mm -hmm. to the mRNA vaccines. I want to stress that it's the Pfizer oh, okay. and Moderna vaccines where you see this IgG4 shift. You're not seeing it with the AstraZeneca or the J&J. Okay. And so once you've had two shots, the body starts to produce this, this tolerant antibody to the spike protein. Mm -hmm. But if you've had your third shot, your booster shot, those levels go up 500 times. So you get a 500-fold increase just between COVID vaccine number two to COVID vaccine number three. And then you start producing large amounts of this, this tolerant antibody to the spike protein. And it really, this antibody, this IgG4 antibody seems to completely mess up cancer surveillance in that yeah. um, it interferes with the other antibodies that are involved in cancer surveillance like IgG1 and 3. And it seems to almost uh, hide the cancer cells from the immune system by saying, look, wow. like you said, this is not a problem. Don't worry about it because it's trying to create a tolerance for the spike protein. But now you've created tolerance to cancer cells as well. As, as an unintended consequence. And yeah. so this is a this is a big area of research right now where, and it seems that the more COVID vaccines you take, the more you increase your levels of IgG4 and the more you damage your cancer surveillance. So this is a, this is a very serious issue uh, in terms of damaging the immune system. Has there been enough study, uh, William, to tell whether that starts to tail off after a while? Are you seeing, did you, there's an uptick, but do we, uh, are you seeing any decrease or does it just seem to be going on in perpetuity? Well, you know, I can tell you from data that I've seen in the double vaccinated and when we were still getting data from the Canadian government and the Australian government, when the quadruple vaccinated were filling the hospitals and then the triple vaccinated, the double vaccinated were doing much better. And the double vaccinated mm -hmm. had stopped taking the COVID vaccines and they were at least a year, year and a half from their last dose. And they seemed to be having immune system recovery. So they were getting okay. infected at a much lower rate than the triple and quadruple vaccinated. It wasn't back to baseline. It wasn't as good as the unvaccinated, but they did have recovery. And this is what you know, I've been trying to stress is that people have to stop taking these shots. They have to stop yeah. taking these mRNA shots and you have to give your body a chance 
to recover, but it's a slow process. So you need at least a year, year and a half for your body to start, your immune system to start recovering mm-hmm. from this damage. And for that, you have to stop taking the shots because the moment you take another shot, you've exposed your body to the antigen all over again, and you're back to square one in right. terms of the immune right. damage. So then take the next, so we, you know, that's a very brief, uh, you know, touching on the immune component that may be contributing to these cancers. And it seems very clear to me, not difficult even for a lay person, I think, to understand that. Um, so you, you brought up a very important fourth bucket that I, I had not, uh, included in there. I think you're right. This DNA contamination, uh, we talked with, um, with Joshua Getzko and, uh, about that, about the kind of what we called bait and switch and the fact that that the uh, the process, if you will, that they ended up using and launching to the public to create these vaccines uh, ended up putting a lot of DNA or leaving DNA contamination in there. Talk about that uh, and, and how that might be contributing to the cancer increase. You know, it all links together. Um, when you had your guest talk about how the, the vaccines that were made for the clinical trials for Pfizer and Moderna were different from the vaccines mm-hmm. that were released to the public, which were mass produced. And this, this mass production, which is done through DNA plasmids, these, these rings of DNA that they put into E. coli, and then they grow E. coli into very large mm-hmm. numbers, and they extract these DNA plasmids. Now, these DNA plasmids have the spike protein sequence in them. And then they use these DNA plasmids to create the mRNA. And of course, they modify the mRNA with the pseudouridine, which again, is, it, is involved uh, in immune suppression through toll-like receptors. Uh, but what they were supposed to get rid of this DNA, these DNA plasmids, this, this contaminants, and they didn't. And, and so uh, Kevin McKernan, U.S. geneticist, has found large concentrations of DNA contamination in both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Now, he has found not just the DNA rings, but he has found fragments of DNA from these rings all different kinds of sizes. The danger with this type of contamination, and it's it's a large amount of contamination, up to up to thirty percent of the genetic code in a vaccine vial can be this DNA contamination. The problem with that is that it is very easy for foreign DNA to integrate into our genome. And if it's integrating into the wrong place, let's say it integrates into a tumor suppressor gene area. Now you've knocked off a very important tumor suppressor gene that protects you from cancer, now you've astronomically increased your risk of getting cancer. And so this is a very serious concern. It's been confirmed in labs around the world. It's been confirmed in Germany. It's been confirmed in Japan. Uh, Professor Philip Buckholz just testified in the uh, South Carolina Senate hearings uh, about this. He's a cancer geneticist with a big lab. He's confirmed this finding in in all the vials of Pfizer and Moderna. So this contamination is a very serious problem on its own. It increases cancer risk theoretically. Um, and so we would need more studies to find out, you know, if there's been integration events in people who've taken these vaccines and then if those integration events are causing cancer. Now, there's an additional complication. As if that wasn't bad enough, the additional, <laughs> the additional complication is that um, Kevin McKernan discovered a sequence of the simian virus 40, SV40 promoter, he discovered this sequence in the Pfizer vials, in these DNA plasmids, just in front of the spike protein sequence. 
Now, SV40, this simian virus 40, is an oncogenic virus that causes cancer in humans, and specifically, it causes lymphomas and brain cancers, which are two of the top three cancers that uh, I mentioned earlier, the turbo cancers that I'm seeing in COVID-vaccinated patients. And there's been no explanation from Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer hasn't addressed why there is a sequence of this oncogenic virus, SV40 virus, why it's present in these DNA plasmids in their product, in their vaccine vials. This is terrifying. I feel like I'm living a sci-fi horror film, except that it's not fiction. Um, this is uh, Joshua Getzko, who we, we spoke with about this DNA plasmid contamination, is going to be back tomorrow with uh, Naomi Wolf to talk more about it. Um, but the idea that you, I'm even using the word contamination within a product that was mass mandated on the, you know, the entirety of the globe uh, is really horrific. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough that anybody would choose to take something of their own, you know, volition and end up getting a contaminated thing. But the idea that we mandated something that is this either it's one of two things. Either there was absolute, complete disregard for good manufacturing processes and quality control, or it's something more nefarious, uh, you know, and they purposefully uh, contaminated these things. Either way you cut it, it's it's horrific. Um, so the DNA piece, absolutely, as you've just laid out uh, very clearly, could be contributing to specifically to these cancers. And as you said, the lymphomas and the, and the brain cancers. So the two other things that I had thrown out there, um, the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles and the toxicity of the spike proteins themselves. Do you think in your experience that those could be contributing factors to the cancer rates? There is a risk. And I just want to tie up the, the last point on this DNA mm -hmm. contamination. I want to stress that this manufacturing process, Pfizer and Moderna have stated very clearly that they're going to continue using this manufacturing process for all COVID boosters and all future mRNA vaccines. And, and, and so now we've recently had, two weeks ago, we've had uh, recommendations by FDA and Health Canada to, for these new COVID booster shots uh, to be rolled out in children as young as six months old in pregnant women at any stage of pregnancy, in young people, young adults of all ages. Uh, and these recommendations were pushed out just a few weeks ago. And, and so this is a very serious problem. I mean, these products should be immediately taken off the market. And what right. we see instead, we see the Nobel Prize awarded to you know right. the two scientists who came up with some of these modifications that may be causing the immune system damage, like the pseudouridine. Uh, modifications which were invented by Dr. Carrico and Dr. Wiseman that they've modified, artificially modified the mRNA to put these euros, you know, pseudouridine sequences in that are, you know, causing uh, potentially damage to the immune system. So I just wanted to mention that, that this manufacturing, Pfizer and Moderna have not addressed this issue. They're going to continue the same manufacturing process with all the boosters and future vaccines. Now, the spike protein um, has on its own has toxicity. Uh, it interacts with tumor suppressor proteins like P53, like BRCA1, BRCA1, mm -hmm. which is implicated in breast cancer and ovarian cancer. P53 is implicated in many cancers like colon cancer, lung cancer, hepatobiliary cancers. It seems to in interact with these tumor suppressor proteins and it, it seems to negatively impact them. So the spike protein itself. Uh, causes problems wherever it is expressed in the body. 
Uh, it also seems to interfere with DNA repair. There was a paper that had come out showing that it, it interferes with DNA repair mechanisms. And again, if you mess with DNA repair, you increase your risk of cancer. So spike protein is very problematic. Now, the lipid nanoparticles themselves are problematic as well. So, you know, I'm of the opinion that uh, one day they'll try to rehabilitate this entire lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform and try to blame the spike protein for everything. And I don't believe that the spike protein is the cause of all the COVID vaccine injuries and deaths. It's the entire platform that's faulty. And the problem with the lipid nanoparticles is that they don't stay in the arm. They are immediately uh, end up in, in the bloodstream and they get delivered to the bone marrow. When they get delivered to the bone marrow, they're transfecting stem cells. Uh, they get delivered mm -hmm. to various organs. They are processed in the liver. Uh, they're, they're filtered through the hepatobiliary system. So now we're seeing aggressive cancers of the liver, of the gallbladder, of the pancreas, and the colon cancers. Uh, they get processed in the kidneys. You end up with aggressive kidney cancers. Um, you know, they end up in the heart. They end up in, in the brain. And, you know, the lipid nanoparticles, they cross the placenta. So they end up in the fetus. Right. These are extremely dangerous products for pregnant women at all stages of pregnancy. You know, in the first trimester, we see congenital malformations in babies in COVID vaccinated women, malformations of the brain, heart, limbs. We see miscarriages. We see stillbirths. We see skyrocketing deaths of babies. Uh, when women get vaccinated in the second and third trimester, the, the fetus stops growing. Uh, the woman can go into premature labor. We see uh, increased deaths during delivery. We see postpartum deaths, young mothers collapsing, dying after delivery. So the entire lipid nanoparticle platform is problematic. The lipid nanoparticles themselves are inflammatory and cause immune system issues. We don't know the extent of, of those issues yet. But just by the very fact that the lipid nanoparticles go systemic and whatever protein you put in there, whatever mRNA you're putting in there, you are systemically delivering a foreign protein to the bone marrow, to the various organs uh, where you get expression of this foreign protein, where you shouldn't get expression, and it causes all kinds of catastrophic complications. So I truly want to stress that it is the lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform that is highly problematic and should be should be halted, should be taken off the market, should be suspended um, until we get independent inv investigations of this uh, platform. I, I agree with you. I think there, while the uh, spike proteins clearly are problematic, I think that not enough has been talked about with the lipid nanoparticles themselves. Drew and I did an entire show on lipid nanoparticles probably a year ago now. We have known for decades that they can cause great harm. Uh, people love the platform because there are lots of things that you can hide within a, or, or hide or you know transport within a little globule called a lipid nanoparticle. And people have been working for decades and how can we get different drugs to certain parts of the body by encapsulating them in this little fat globule. Uh, but we've also known of their high toxicity, um, particularly to the reproductive organs, as you said, to the bone marrow, lots of problems. 
And, you know, the idea that this stuff did not stay in your deltoid muscle in your arm uh, was well known. That was one of the great lies people were told is that you're going to get injected in the arm and that this stuff is going to stay there. They knew darn well that wasn't the case. And it ends up in every major organ system in a matter of hours. And uh, I think that the lipid nanoparticles are undoubtedly a big contributor to all of the uh, the various adverse events and certainly the cancers. Um, I'm watching the clock wind down here. Tell me a little bit about what is what you're seeing in Canada. We were talking before we came on air, you and I, about what's happening. You would think in light of this tsunami of evidence, and that's what it is, that you would have to be living under a rock to not know that there are problems out there. You would think that they would be backing off. What are you seeing actually happening in Canada with regard to mandates and where they're going with all of this? When you look at what um, Health Canada and you know the, the public health officials like Dr. Theresa Tam are recommending, they are behaving as if there have been no injuries and no deaths from the COVID vaccines in the last you know almost three years now. They're putting out the recommendations uh, in babies as young as six months old, and they're targeting the kids. And I can tell you the age group, six months to four years old, they're saying that they need to take two vaccines. They need to take two Moderna vaccines. And I believe for the Pfizer, it's three vaccines to be considered up to date on their vaccines. These are horrific recommendations. Again, blanket recommendation for pregnant women at any stage of pregnancy. Uh, no safety studies done on children or pregnant women, by the way, to back up right. uh, those recommendations. Uh, but they're aggressively pushing forward. And one thing I want to mention is that they're changing the language. They're, they're going away from the language of booster shot, and they're now renaming them to annual updated vaccines that, right. you know, like a flu shot that you would get from your, from your family doctor. Yeah. And so they don't, they don't want the word booster because booster implies that, you know, the vaccine had failed or that you need to continue boosting a product. Why do you need to continue boosting these vaccines if they were working? Right. So right. they want to move towards a, an annual model where you, you're just going to get your annual shot from your doctor. And I'm worried. I've read in the vaccine hesitancy literature where they really want to bring back vaccine mandates, but they want to do it through the family doctors. They want to make it so that you will not be able to visit your family doctor unless you have your updated COVID vaccines uh, and they'll make it mandatory for you to be able to even see your doctor. This is the way they're looking at bringing back quietly a type of vaccine mandate. So we have to be very careful about this. Uh, I Again, I'm pushing, uh, you know, I testified at the National Citizens Inquiry uh, about the damages of the vaccine, the injuries, the deaths of Canadian doctors, which the Canadian Medical Association is covering up. We're almost at 200 sudden deaths of fully vaccinated Canadian doctors since the vaccines rolled out. The health authorities are covering this up. They don't want any talk about injuries. You know, we have a broken a vaccine ad adverts uh, event reporting system in Canada. So right. VAERS is much better in the United States than the system we have in Canada, where doctors are not allowed to report vaccine injuries and deaths because they will lose their medical license. They will lose their job. Uh, there's been tremendous persecution of Canadian doctors who've been speaking out about the dangers of the vaccines. They're being silenced. Uh, they're losing their licenses. Uh, so just, just terrible corruption, you know, when it comes to these products. Uh, but they are pushing ahead. They're pushing ahead as if nothing has happened in the last three years. 
Well, that is unfortunately what we are seeing here in the United States as well. Uh, the CDC has no regulatory authority, but uh, that said, they have tremendous power. Uh, the current recommendations here in the U.S. For this, from the CDC is that children six months and older get two sh the original two-shot series, and then rather than the original booster, the bivalent booster, as you said, they now are calling it an updated uh, vaccine and it's now the monovalent one, but still a child would need three of these shots to be considered fully vaccinated. Uh, and although the CDC doesn't make the rules about schools or travel or anything else, the reality is that schools and other municipalities use those guidelines. Uh, and they certainly now that it is on the childhood vaccine schedule, uh, schools and daycare centers will likely uh, look at that and, and make a requirement that people have. So the CDC isn't doing it, but the reality is they end up having that, uh, that um, ability to sway the, the public or sway regulation because schools and, and other places will end up following what's on the vac the childhood vaccine schedule. So in any event, we, we have wound down the clock. Very, uh, this is fascinating, terrifying and fascinating. Uh, Dr. Mackis, I, I uh, appreciate you continuing to, to bring it to us to look at the data. Um, I don't see this ending anytime soon. I think you know, you've pointed out, and if people didn't hear it, that the cancer rates are worse in 2023 than they were in 2022, and that is the nature of cancer. When you see uh, cellular changes and in the suppression of the immune system and the inability to recognize foreign cells or to fight them off, uh, I think, I, I fear we are likely going to see increased rates even higher in 2024. Um, so uh, again, I'd really like to bring you back in, in some, uh, some weeks or months with an update. Um, so keep us, in, keep us in the loop. And again, congratulations on your new, uh, your new stint at the Wellness Company. They're great friends. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. I appreciate you having me on. We'll have you back soon. Thanks. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in an immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800 273 8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com/help. Yeah.